we get right out of high school, have a year of education. And when we want to start a new job, we have this legal document in front of us that we don't know what it says. We're just told, hey, if you don't sign this, you don't have a job. This can't be right. She can't own these people. She can't own me. She can't hijack my career. That's Emily Olson, a hairstylist from Minnesota. That legal document she's talking about is called a non-compete agreement. And she says that agreement affected the course of her life. A non-compete means that if you leave a job for whatever reason, even if you're fired, you can't work for a competitor. You can't start your own business. You're just idle, sometimes for a year, sometimes even longer. I didn't have any rights once I left there. I'm stuck here for the rest of my career. If you do want to pursue your chosen career, you often have to do it in another city, sometimes another state. People have had to uproot their families and move across the country just to get outside the zone of a non-compete. Ms. Olson is one of an estimated 30 million Americans bound by a non-compete agreement, and the Federal Trade Commission wants those agreements gone. Federal Trade Commission today issued a proposal banning non-compete clauses that prevent workers from switching employers or starting a new business. The move would allow workers to take jobs at rival companies or start competing businesses without the threat of being sued by their former employers. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Lena Khan, and I'm chair of the Federal Trade Commission. Thank you so much. Lena Khan's FTC says that non-competes undermine core economic liberties, can hinder workers' ability to pursue better opportunities, keep wages down, increase workers' earnings by $250 billion to and are just bad for the economy as a whole. That non-competes are stifling innovation, entrepreneurship, and new business formation. Ultimately, the FTC says, they should be against the law. The Commission's proposal preliminarily finds that non-competes are an unfair method of competition and violate Section 5 of the FTC Act. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive FTC proposals in modern history. We'll examine the arguments for the ban and talk to workers who've had their livelihoods crushed by oppressive covenants not to compete. We'll look at arguments in favor of keeping non-competes And we'll talk with business owners who say they're crucial for, among other things, keeping trade secrets confidential. Finally, we'll get to the whole Section 5 of the FTC Act thing. Or, to put it more simply, can the FTC even do this? Leah Nyland covers the FTC for Bloomberg News, and she'll be walking us through what the agency is proposing and how we got here. Leah, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So before we get into this, why should a regular person, not a lawyer, not a lobbyist or a government official, not an economist, not a commissioner of the FTC, why should a regular person care what's going on right now with this rulemaking? Um, At some point in their working career, it's possible that they might be subject to one of these. One in five Americans today is subject to a non-compete agreement. And... Um, Unless you actually read every single word of every single document they had you sign when you first started your job, it's possible that you're subject to one and you don't even know it. I have no idea if I'm subject to a non-compete. And it's a little embarrassing to admit that. 
Um, I know I read the documents when I signed, but I just don't remember. And I'm not the only one. Here's Elizabeth Wilkins, director of the FTC's Office of Policy Planning, on CNN earlier this year. I mean, I don't know what you thought the last time you started a job, but I know when I did, I had already quit my old job. I had already accepted a new one. Somebody handed me a stack of HR paperwork, which I signed. Uh, If there was a non-compete in there, and I'm a lawyer, I might not even know. And so sometimes folks don't know that they are trapped until they try and leave. This FTC action is aggressive, like really aggressive. They haven't tried something like this in decades. To understand just how out of the ordinary this proposal is, we need to start with a journey into the agency's history. So the entire history of the FTC is often like the FTC championing something and getting a little bit smacked down by Congress. The Federal Trade Commission and Congress are locked in a battle over what the commission does and which businesses it tries to regulate. Congress wants more Um, We did see this in the 1960s and 70s. The FTC undertook a bunch of semi-controversial proposals. One, they wanted to try to regulate advertisements to children on television. A proposed ruling would ban TV commercials directed at children too young to understand what commercials are. The FTC staff concluded that many ads by themselves are psychologically harmful to young children, no matter what the product. Another one, they were looking at um, labeling of like sugary cereal. Another recommendation is to require advertisers of other sugared foods to pay for dental ads to counter the effects of the sugared food advertising. And this ended up getting them labeled um, the nation's national nanny by the Washington Post. The last thing we need in the next 20 years is a national nanny. The FTC was pushing the boundaries at a time that America was once again becoming more business-friendly. Ronald Reagan was president. We can relieve labor and business of burdensome, unnecessary regulations. The country was not in the mood for a government agency that went out of its way to find new ways to regulate. The FTC was very aggressive and maybe using pursuing some novel cases and rulemakings during the Carter administration, That provoked a backlash among the business community. This is Sandeep Vahisan. He's legal director at the Open Markets Institute, an anti-monopoly research and advocacy group based in Washington. And Congress also reacted very negatively to this rulemaking and actually threatened to defund and shut down the FTC for a period. The FTC's money runs out next Saturday. The agency waits nervously for the next move by Congress. No matter what happens, the FTC seems sure to lose. Congress didn't shut down the FTC, but it cut their funding, made it harder for the agency to pass big rules, and the way Mr. Vahesen tells it, just generally crushed their spirit. Big business and more conservative scholars created this narrative that the FTC was out of control during this time, They learned their lesson and since that time had been pursuing a more modest and targeted regulatory and enforcement agenda. And that really defined FTC's work under both Democratic and Republican administrations. Whenever anyone called, you know, competition rulemakings or consumer protection rulemakings, the standard refrain was, we learned our lesson. We're not going down that path again. To many progressives, these limits on the FTC's power ran counter to the reason that the agency existed in the first place. 
the FTC Act, the big piece of congressional legislation that created the Federal Trade Commission 100 years ago, arguably gave the agency a lot of power. But to groups like Open Markets, it seemed like the FTC wasn't using that power. Section 5 prohibits, quote-unquote, unfair methods of competition. And Congress, when it created the FTC in 1914, said... We can't possibly catalog all the unfair methods of competition out there in a statute. Any statutory language will quickly become outdated because businesses and their corporate counsel are very creative and imaginative. So Congress said, let's set up this expert agency to function in a dynamic fashion. They will study the economy and identify new and novel unfair methods of competition and use their power to prohibit or restrict them. That was Congress's vision. Prevention of unfair business practices is generally better than punishment administered after the fact of infringement. This is President Franklin Delano Roosevelt speaking in 1937 about the task given to the FTC at its creation two decades prior. When the commission discovered practices that were unfair or that tended towards monopoly, it was to deal with them by injunctions rather than by punishment. Eternal vigilance is the price of opportunity for honest business. In FDR's telling, the agency had a clear mandate. Search the business landscape for possible unfair business practices and then prohibit them before they can hurt the economy. It is the price we must pay if business is to be allowed to remain honest and to carry on under fair competitive conditions protected from the sharp or the shady practices of the unscrupulous. But Vahesan says that since the Reagan era of the early 1980s, the FTC has been almost embarrassed that it has this broad power. The conventional wisdom, at least at the FTC, was we need to be careful. We don't want to trigger backlashes like the ones we triggered in the late 1970s, and so we should be cautious about doing anything. So um, the FTC has the power to challenge unfair methods of competition. But the interesting thing is the FTC has never defined that, really. Like, what is an unfair method of competition? It just sort of takes business practices as they come and says whether or not that's unfair. Yeah, it doesn't have, like, a, a regulation saying what that is. It is generally, like, enforce this law by bringing cases. Um, and so they'll bring a case against a specific practice and be like, that is an unfair method of competition. Don't do that again. So what about non-compete clauses? An agreement that you may sign when you take a job saying you will not work for a competitor within a certain distance and for a certain period of time. Is that unfair? For decades, the FTC wasn't weighing in. But starting about 10 years ago, some states began taking the lead. Here's Leah Nyland. There was this rash of cases where state attorneys general were bringing cases against companies that they felt were sort of abusing non-competes. The most famous one is Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's? What? I am the luckiest man in the world! (laughs) Uh, I'm just 
Yeah, Jimmy John's obviously is a pretty popular sandwich maker. Well, if you've ever thought about working at Jimmy John's, you're going to want to hear this first. And it turned out that Jimmy John's was making its sandwich-making employees sign a non-compete that they would not go to a rival sandwich maker. Non-compete clauses aren't just for six-figure executives anymore. Right, but now the same is being asked of fast food workers. It was actually a very restrictive non-compete. Like, it, it like listed the different types of sandwiches they weren't allowed to make. Yeah, I've got a copy of the agreement right here. All right. It says that for two years after a Jimmy John's employee either quits or is fired, they can't work for, quote, any business which derives more than 10% of its revenue from selling submarine, hero type, deli style, pita and or wrapped or rolled sandwiches if the business is located within three miles of any Jimmy John's. That's a lot of sandwiches. <laughs> this is wild. And it sort of invokes the philosophical question of what is a sandwich? Yes, I was like, hmm, can they go to a hot dog vendor? Hot dog? Hot dog's not a sandwich. What are you talking about? You got your meat, you got your bread, you got your condiments. You bite into a hot dog, my friend, you're biting into a sandwich. Wait, any business that derives more than 10% of its revenue from sandwiches? That that could be any restaurant. Yes, so you might be going from Jimmy John's to, I don't know, like a sit-down restaurant. But if they made a lot of sandwiches, technically that would violate the non-compete. So this, uh, it came to light. A bunch of um, attorneys general like sued Jimmy John's over it. And then they reached a settlement and Jimmy John's agreed to get rid of these non-competes. But that sort of started a trend among a bunch of the state attorneys general looking at what kinds of businesses have these non-competes and whether they were really necessary. And so that really started putting it on the radar of the Federal Trade Commission. The federal government started looking into this. In 2016, the Obama White House asked states to ban non-compete clauses for lower-wage workers or for those who might not possess trade secrets. Our free market economy only works when there's competition, and competition only works when rules are in place to keep it fair and open and honest. During the Trump years, the FTC held a series of workshops to see whether they might dip their toes in the non-compete waters. And then... CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White President House Biden nominated Lena Khan to be a commissioner to the FTC. Lena Khan was a 32-year-old up-and-coming superstar in the world of trade regulation. After getting her law degree from Yale, she was a legal advisor to an FTC commissioner, a lawyer for the House Judiciary Committee, a law professor at Columbia. So nobody was really surprised when Biden nominated her. People were not that surprised. You know, she's very young, but she's very well known. People were surprised about what Biden did next. After her confirmation vote, the Biden White House announced, surprise, actually, we're going to make her the chair. And that was a little bit (laughs) controversial because, you know, the chair has a lot of power. There are five commissioners, but the chair is sort of the one who decides the direction of the agency, like what the agency is going to pursue in terms of like cases and what it's going to prioritize. As young as she is, Lena Khan's philosophy is old school. In contrast to the more hands-off approach taken by regulators in recent decades, Khan is much more likely than her predecessors to find unfairness across the economic landscape, like agreements where an employee promises that if she leaves her job for whatever reason, she won't take a job with a competitor. And it turns out that Khan has a pretty strong ally in the White House, 
A couple weeks after her Senate confirmation, the Biden administration made it very clear what he wanted Khan to tackle first. The incredible number of non-compete clauses for ordinary people was done for one reason, to keep wages low. Look, my executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. Non-compete agreements are everywhere, but they're particularly common in certain industries. Maybe industries you wouldn't expect, like styling hair. Roughly 30% of hairstylists or so have non-compete agreements. This is Evan Starr, a professor at the University of Maryland. He has a PhD in economics from the University of Michigan, and he is one of the leading scholars on non-compete agreements. It's common in most client-facing industries, In the hairstylist context, you have clients who come to visit you, and the firm may not want those clients to leave with you. I guess it makes sense because someone might develop a relationship with their particular stylist. Exactly, exactly. And you don't care what company they work for. You just trust that individual. I mean, how many people would go to the ends of the earth to find the person that they trust to cut their hair, you know, or handle their money, right? Which brings us back. This can't be right. She can't own these people. She can't own me. To Emily Olson, who worked as a stylist with a small chain of four salons in Minneapolis. And at the time of my employment, I signed a non-compete that said for five miles, one year, from all locations, I could not do hair, same or similar services. And um, down the line, they switched the non-compete to be 10 miles for one year from any location. And that was common for any of the stylists, massage therapists, anybody that worked there. A few years later, she took on a management role, which came with a new, even stricter agreement. 25 miles for two years. That's not just 25 miles. That's 25 miles from any of the stores. Not just the one that I did hair out of, which is crazy. The end result is basically a circle 65 miles in diameter where Ms. Olson simply couldn't get work as a stylist. This included the entire Twin Cities area and the surrounding area. If she tried? There was a lot of fear kind of installed in people saying, well, don't go anywhere because you're going to get sued. Not everyone who left found themselves in court, but some of them did. The ones that leave are made an example of. Coming up this season on Uncommon Law. What happens when the women at the salon try to leave? They were terrified every day of their life. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I sleep well at night, you know? Are trade secret laws enough for a company to protect its intellectual property when an employee goes across the street? Over time, you won't remember. But going to do the same work for the competitor puts your former employer's information at risk. And we'll take a closer look at whether the FTC actually has the power to ban non-competes. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve 
if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. That's this season on Uncommon Law. Uncommon Law is produced and hosted by me, Matthew Schwartz. I also did the mixing and sound design for this episode. If you liked the show, please tell a friend and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Uncommon Law was edited by Josh Block, who is the executive producer for videos and podcasts here at Bloomberg Industry Group. Our cover art is by Jonathan Hurtarte. Special thanks to Bloomberg's Leah Nyland for her help on this episode. Thanks also to Andrew Satter for editing help. And an additional thank you to Joel Meyer, Tom Taylor, and Cheska Antonelli. See you next time.